Hey everyone, how's it going? What's up? This is Finite MTG, aka Max, and I am here with Crackshot, aka Jacob. Hey everybody. And today we have a lot to talk about uh, on this podcast episode. So I'm going to be breaking down Teamer Cube, uh, VMA, briefly going over uh, the Tinkerer's Cube as well. Um, and then, yeah, we even have Kaldheim to talk about because that will be coming out very soon. And yeah, we'll get a new alternative play calendar when that happens. So excited for all of that, of course. Yeah, Timo Cube. Um, I did enjoy it. Uh, wasn't my favorite experience, but it certainly wasn't bad at all. And yeah, it, it really feels different to play as three color cube. I've not done that before. I missed the times when um, when the Griggs Cube was online. Have you played the Griggs Cube? Yeah, I did play the Grixis Cube. Um, I think I have some drafts of that uh, <laughs> format on my channel somewhere. I think it's like titled Format Solved or something because I forced Mono Red and trophied twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, that's something you could do in the Team Cube as well, the Forcing Mono Red. That is something I did actually, literally, the uh, Forcing Mono Red and tw uh, trophying uh, twice in a row. That was, yeah, like <laughs> pretty much my same experience. But um back then it was just you know about trying to uh win and like do as well as possible this time it's more like what am i losing to i'm trying to see um how the other archetypes are doing and whether they're really resilient to mono red and i think they actually were there were a couple matches i was very very close to losing uh especially versus mono green cards like elder gargaroth so <laughs> yeah I oh think yeah there was some big beefy strong creatures that were yeah, hard for red to deal with for sure i think um this cube is actually better positioned against mono red than uh the grixis cube was which is kind of interesting okay i uh had the feeling that some green decks really had a problem with um with the burn from red but i played against it with a blue red more controlling deck and targeted my spells only at their mana elves and I think what I played against was somebody trying to play an elf tribal deck, and it just really didn't go well for them at all. Yeah, fair. I don't know. Do they have like Eladomri in their deck? Um, I did not see that one, but um, there was the the arch arch druid, is it elvish arch druid or something like that? That taps for every elf, and then a bunch of yeah. one and two mana elves, some of which are pretty random. Right. Um, yeah. Three. I think yeah they they also they also had the the sad uh, heritage druid in there and yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah I don't know if that's if all the if all the themes came together in this cube I'm not sure because maybe the environment was a bit too hazardous to some of them yeah I think that's a pretty decent observation um, I think that so this is not the first time recently we've had. Um, one of these cubes try to put together like an artifact deck like without really putting too much artifact synergy like throughout uh the cube and especially like you know when you take out a bunch of the best mana rocks uh there were still some very good mana rocks in here don't get me wrong but um artifact synergy and artifact interaction gets that much better when like the incentives are higher uh, but still uh we've had some pretty kind of dubious um artifact archetypes in past cubes i think this one was a bit more promising than that but yeah i do think that yep. 
<laughs> I think that some of the archetypes, as you pointed out, were just not quite there in terms of support. Um, and there were just like some questionable cards in general, um, in my opinion, at least. Like you have like one of the best things you can do uh, as usual in cube is Splinter Twin, right? You just put together two cards and win the game pretty much. Yeah. Very hard to <laughs> really beat the Splinter Twin combo once it's going. And yeah, there were a bunch of other cards from uh, two card combos without like the other half of the combo, which is kind of interesting because I tend to think that like there aren't very many two card combos stronger than Splinter Twin. So it makes me wonder like, for instance, we had like Manifold Key, right? The Strictly Better Voltaic Key, but no Time Vault. We also have Voltaic Key. Oh yeah. Yeah, but Voltaic Key Time Vault is better than Splinter Twin. Splinter Twin uh... I guess, but I mean, unless you're like playing against a rampaging Ferocidon and it's like Deceiver Exarch that you're making copies of, like most of the time it just doesn't matter that much, you know? Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that this combo is one of the only things that were cut from the MTGO Vintage Cube for power level reasons. Fair. Yeah. Because I, mean, I kind of like that it's not here, but that said, I'm not happy about the keys. I think they don't have a place. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm not saying like because Splinter Twin is here, we have to have other two card combos. I think it's more like, you know, maybe there's a reason <laughs> the other two card combos aren't here. So maybe Splinter Twin shouldn't be here either. Yeah. Well, the reason I mentioned Eladomri when you were talking about the elf tribal deck is because Eladomri was one of those cards that I consistently saw going very late. I was trying to imagine, like, it seems like it has to be a good card in the mirror, right? If you're playing elf tribal versus mono green, and suddenly all your elves have forest walk, right? But, well, there's two, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess maybe not that good in the mirror. You have to be you have to be elves and you need your opponent to like not be elf tribal, but also be green, which I guess you can pull off. They just need one forest. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but, though, if blocking is really a thing anyway so forest walk what does it do yeah it just it seems like a card that probably is not quite there in terms of power level um along with in other... this environment i right. really like yeah. the card in general like <laughs> and the occasional uh tribal support in the cube i also really like that at fair yeah um yeah i think some other uh choices that were pretty interesting to us would be like cloudstone curio um yeah the candelabra just cards that you can do silly things with but most of the time uh, it's either not going to be worth it or it's going to be too hard to set up um, yeah they require a lot of setup i think and i'm all for um cards that require a lot of setup and then you build your engine and i really like that but i'm not sure if the power level of the other cards in the format allowed that just right like random cards like hex drinker one of my yeah. least favorite cards like not in this cube, but in general, I really don't like the card. If you have cards of that power level in there that don't need anything else to to happen except for you hitting a bunch of a few land drops, like you're pushing out cute interactions. And I mean, yeah, I think you can have it either way, but not both at the same time. I feel like yeah, I think that's right. Um, and not just hex drinker, right? Um, this cube was what's called like semi powered, so you didn't have like. Uh, the power nine except for time twister i believe um but you did have cards that 
are like honorary power nine. So you had like Mana Crypt, Library of Alexandria, um, just some of the best cards in Magic that are not quite, you know, known as power nine, which <laughs> that'll matter more when we get into Vintage Masters as well. And I think that's a pretty interesting choice. I think there are some places where it might make sense, but for the most part, I tend to think that if you're putting cards that are so insanely good, um, like that they are near the power nine, you better have a good reason for playing, like for including those and not including the power nine themselves. And I just felt like this was almost like vintage cube in the sense that the semi-powered cards are so much better than almost everything else going on that you just always took them if they showed up the way in vintage cube you just always pick power nine first <laughs> yeah and one thing i wanted to say is that might make it sound like you couldn't do any fun things and that's not true at all there were a lot of fun things you could do and a lot of things that were viable and it was a good experience playing this cube and it comes back to something we very often discuss which is the pack size uh, with a pack size of 15 if the last five cards or four cards are basically unplayables, it doesn't even matter that much, right? They just become invisible and they fall out of your, of your cube, cube, basically. So I think it would have been a very similar uh, play experience if this cube was cut down to maybe 440 cards. All the things that don't work out were removed from the packs and you would just draft with 11-card, 12-card packs. I think that would have turned out very similarly. Yeah, I think 11 and 12 might be a little bit low, but for the most part, I agree. There are a couple of cards that I think are in here mainly as sideboard cards. I mentioned Eladomri before because I just don't really know what it does in a main deck, but... But it protects the elves. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It needs um, to be killed first. I think that's something. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I would still rather have just like a... <laughs> How about a Dauntless Bodyguard? Um Anyway, <laughs> vintage cube staple. <laughs> of course. Um, but I was going to say defense grid. That's another card that I really can't imagine putting in my main deck. Yeah. But there weren't too many cards like that. So I think yeah, 12, maybe 13 cards. I agree. It would have looked very similar. Uh, there's another yep. interesting design choice here. And we saw this, I believe, or something very similar in Coltic Cube. So here we mm -hmm. had repeat fetches and repeat shocks so two copies of each um like fetch and shock that's in a teamer guild and that was interesting because um i mean it always draws like a really visceral like reaction from players players are like what i thought like i thought this was a cube why are there like what's going on <laughs> it's impure um, <laughs> yeah it's it's like cube is so like well known to be like synonymous with singleton that People just don't think that it can be a cube if there are two copies of a card. But I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think you can definitely like break this pretty basic rule of cube if it makes the yeah. format better. I have to say here, I like this choice much more because these are good cards. But you, here you go from six, uh, from three to six from the to, from the fetch lands. So you still have a relatively low number of fetch lands compared to the size of the cube. Right. And not yeah. from 10 to 20. Like it's very different. And here you it didn't very often happen that you saw two of the same fetch land. I guess I would say I even like the, the choice. Yeah. And I think including original duels over that second copy of all the shocks would really do anything to the power level. Uh, and I do think it would help 
Um, that would actually be much closer to the uh, choice of the cultic cube, if I remember correctly, because I think that cube only had repeat fetches. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like, um, again, with semi-powered things, this is not like a very low-powered cube. So um, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely interested as to why those didn't show up. But now you wanted to talk about um, eight cards. Is that right? And answers. Yeah. Yeah. So. What I noticed in this cube is the creator played with cards that were always considered color hate. And I want to diverge a little bit from that meaning. So in the original meaning, you would think that something like uh, Pyroblast is a hate card. So Pyroblast counters as well if it's blue or destroyed permanent if it's blue for one red mana. Um, and now I want to talk about hate cards versus answers. And in this context, I would say that Pyroblast is an answer. It's a one-for-one -one spell. It's very efficient, and it doesn't might not work in every matchup. So it might still be a sideboard card, but it doesn't blow somebody out completely. It doesn't stop them from playing the game. And there were some other cards in this cube, which I felt like were, for my taste, a little bit too much on the side of a hate card. Uh, for example, there was the card Trident Predator, for one green and blue, a 2-3 flyer, that when it deals combat damage to an opponent, you destroy uh, target enchantment or artifact they control. And while I generally don't mind this card at this power level, uh, I feel like it can lead to some very frustrating scenarios when somebody is actually drafting the intended archetype of artifact matters. Like when you build your whole deck around um, playing the good or some even not so good mana rocks in this in this cube to then do something, play a big artifact after that, and somebody plays a turn three Dragon Predator against you, you basically have to have removal or you lost the game. and Or there's like collector oof. A lot of things that I want to respond to with that, but I guess for starters, I'll just say, so one example of Trigon not functioning like a hate card would be against Mono Red where maybe you have Shrine of Burning Rage and Jitte, like I did, but you can just keep dumping creatures into play so Trigon doesn't cost you the game. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you eventually can play and equip the Jitte and attack, and then you know you can kill the Trigon if they block, or maybe they attack and you just shrink its power to zero with the Jitte. So that would be an example of it like not being uh, oppressive. But yeah, I think for the most part, like the red and blue blasts, acted really nicely as hate cards and i think um or whoops as answers excuse me but they, in this context i would say that yeah <laughs> right yeah in general cubes probably or in most cubes probably not but um yeah i think that trigon here specifically because they're supposed to be like an artifact archetype it was less of an answer and more of a hate card yeah like if if i don't know there were not as many uh, artifacts and there were like signets in all combinations and everybody would be running like three, four signets and Trigon could be maybe just a very strong card. And in some arc matchups, it's not really a hate card, but just a, a good card for you. But yeah, I don't know if you need to hate, if you should hate on archetypes that much. And I mean, it is a way of balancing your cube, but I think it's not a very fun experience. I already heard from some people that another card in this cube is Mindbreak Trap. So it's for four blue blue, an instant. And when you play it, you uh, exile any number of, of spells, I believe, is the way it's worded. Let me. Yeah. 
um, exile any number of spells um, or any number of target spells, I think. And yeah, any number of target spells, yeah. If three plus spells were cast that turn, you can just, you know, cast it for zero mana. So. <laughs> yeah. And that card, I don't know, is that is on the on the brink for me between being a hate card and an answer because Storm is in the cube. At the end, when they exhausted all their resources, you don't spend any mana and you undo everything they did. And Sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like it's super frustrating for one player. Oh, of course. And I don't know if that's great. Like this card, I can still see it's very defendable, and I might have included it. But this is really, I think, already on the on the brink of being hateful. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think I would just go ahead and call that card a hate card. But I think that um, something interesting about the Trigon Predator, and possibly another reason you dislike it, is because it's another type of card that uh, <laughs> we're not a huge fan of, which is a snowball card. Um, in the sense that it just like repeatedly is able to incur value and uh, make the game state worse for your opponent. Um, that's yeah, I guess not, in that matchup it is right, and that's not something you see on the uh, mind break trap. So I, <laughs> I think that could be a reason that you're more opposed to the trigon because there's another reason I think you might dislike it. Yeah, but I guess something that I uh, noticed when you were describing the distinction between answers and hate cards is you mentioned that the middle ground is like, uh, like a two for one. So yeah. like force of vigor, that's a two for one. Uh, even Rex Age is a two for one, as opposed to something like a Nature's Claim or something like that. Yeah. But uh, so that kind of talk reminded me of my talk uh, in like peasant cubes and just lower powered environments in general about removal versus like sweepers, right? Because yeah, um, a lot of people think sweepers are really important for most like cube environments. I think with a low enough powered environment sweepers basically just turn into hate cards right and i think that answers like spot removal and uh even strong answers like two for ones are just generally much more acceptable i think basically this distinction that you're proposing is like a really nice way of framing that argument that i've had for a while to sum it up i would say that the, the real hate cards they stop one archetype from doing anything okay well, I think that was a really interesting topic. Time to move on to Vintage Masters. I would swap these around. I would talk about the Tinkerer's Cube first oh, sure. because the Tinkerer's Cube does pretty much that. And it's the first time that I see like an officially supported cube do that. So it's, um, it's the lower powered cube of the two cubes we get on Arena regularly. And it has very little mass removal. It has for seven mana the Star of Extinction. So for five red red, it destroys a land and 20 damage to each creature and planeswalker. Then it has in uh, black green the Find Finality. So it's another sweeper for six mana, minus four, minus four, and you put two plus one plus one counters on up to one creature. And that is basically it. There's in, in black one, there's not really a mass removal. Um, the witch's vengeance one black black creatures of the creature type of your choice get minus three minus three until end of turn and that is it in a 540 card cube so yeah it's a lot that they're doing it basically like we just advertised and this does work best at relatively low power levels and this is a lower power level though they have some cards that i think are a little bit too strong but in general the cube plays out in a similar fashion to our peasant cubes 
So there's a lot of a lot of archetype focus and a lot of room for these archetypes to do their thing. And then at some point, something wins. So there's blue-white flyers and there's green-white. Well, green-white has a bunch of mixed things. Like green-white has tokens. It has a, a enchantress support. It has some token support. And uh, yeah, which is one thing. Like it's less like ours in that color pairs sometimes do more than one thing. And the archetypes are often spread around more than just two colors. So um, like the the plus one plus one counter thing, for example, stretches to blue. There's a bunch of blue proliferators also that go with the white, um, green plus one plus one counter theme. And yeah, so it's a little bit, it sometimes can feel a little bit um, all over the place because it's not, you don't quite as quickly grasp which colors should do which archetype, basically. But I think it still plays very well. It feels very balanced and with the exception of a few cards, like the Hazard, some people are complaining about. And I myself think that uh, one white, one one Luminarch Aspirant, yeah, mm. which puts a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control at the beginning of combat. <clears throat> I think that card's just a little bit too strong for what the rest of the cube does, but it's not like completely crazy out, out of work. So, yeah, I think it's mm. a very nice play experience. I enjoy it more than the other cube, um, but some people dislike that it doesn't really have much top end like there's no real payoff if you ramp for example but there are still some cards that accelerate your mana so if you are leaning into the ramp then in the end you will not have much to do but in general i like it a lot yeah it sounds like um an experience that i think most people do enjoy a lot i wanted to uh, actually talk about i think a tweet that i saw from brian david marshall and it's about uh, i don't know if uh, i would imagine most um Listeners have not seen this, but it's this video of a child's toy where there are a bunch of different shapes and holes for shapes. And turns out that every shape can be put through the square hole, even though each shape has its own hole, like designated. <laughs> um, and BDM said, like, this is how he imagines uh, the creator of Tinkerer's Cube must feel when people uh, just keep doing well with mono red over and over they're just putting you know whatever shape it is through that square hole. <laughs> um yeah i thought it was really i thought it was really funny um but i also thought that there is something like there to it as well like that's a real problem like that's i am basically the person like sh- forcing the wrong shape through the square hole like granted not in tinkerer's cube but i mean i also did it in tinkerer's cube it's one <laughs> of my go-to things for the very first draft when you mm. haven't like when you only look at the first pack, sometimes it's very hard to see which archetypes are actually supported, which card might lead me astray. And somehow mono red is always in the cards and nobody else will take your cards. If you just force mono red in the first draft, then you will see like all the cards going around the table and you can inform your opinion for the next draft. I mean, you <laughs> can also just look at the cube list and or do a test draft against bots on cube cobra. These are all also very valid, but sometimes I just feel like jumping in, and then if there's a good mono red card in my first pack, then I might be forcing mono red in the beginning. Fair enough, and I do think there's something to like having simple and intuitive archetypes because not everyone does read like cube articles. Not everyone has a lot of experience with cubes, and sometimes archetypes can lead people astray uh, a little bit, like what you were describing with the ramp deck. Um, 
But I would say the main problem I have with mono red being as viable an archetype as it is, um, just in cubes in general, uh, but for instance, uh, the teamer cube, I think would be a good place to say this. Like that cube is pretty strong in terms of power level. Definitely, I would say, <laughs> toward the higher end of how strong things can be. And yet you have cards like Hellrider and Rabblemaster that I'm just not sure about because they're just so good just about every time in the mono red deck. Um, and I feel like when you try to encourage all these really complex and interesting archetypes, making mono red as powerful as it is really discourages that. And granted, I do think that red wasn't just at its absolute strongest. I think it's been worse in the past. Um, but I think that you can make mono red strong without putting the literal best cards into like that archetype. I want to see fewer Hellriders on Magic Online, uh, not just because other people are picking them, but because people are cutting it from their cubes, right? Because it's just such an easy card to win games with otherwise. And I think that takes a lot of the fun out of it. But on the other yeah. hand, um, something nice about drafting sets is that it's a lot harder to force in a set uh, because in a cube, you can pretty much get away with anything. Everything is going to be so strong, you're not going to have to worry about playables. But uh, for instance, in Vintage Masters, even though it is Vintage Masters, there are still some unplayables, and it's not like not quite like a cube. So you can't force, you have to actually think <laughs> and draft if you want to end up with a good deck, especially because so you have Battle Screech at common <laughs> in Vintage Masters, right? And that card mm. is just completely it's insane. The one thing I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably the reason that most people stop uh, playing that format because I think they get battle screeched a couple times and they say, hey, you know what? <laughs> this wasn't fun. I don't want to try it again. Um, but I was going to say, like, it's not even something you can force because so many people know that mono white is good that really you still have to pay attention to signals because you don't know whether you'll end up in a pod where you'll get past like two or three screeches or you'll be in a pod where you get zero. Yeah, but it's one small difference coming into that. I feel like the mindset is different for people when they head into a cube compared when they head into drafting a set. I think people are way more willing to just draft what is best when they draft a set than when they when they draft a cube. So even though Mono Red in Tinkerer's Cube is the best deck, sometimes it's just not drafted and you see... 10th pick Hellriders, which I think also is in there. Not 100% sure, but I think so. And people sometimes just feel like, oh no, I'm not drafting that today. And then if the whole table agrees, then the Mono Red cards, cards go last pick. And that happens in so many cubes, even though Mono Red is the best. And in a normal draft set, you can never see that happen, basically. That everybody shuns a color, even though it's the best color. That just doesn't happen. Yeah, I think a lot of what you're saying makes, well, perfect sense to me. Basically, People are more like spikes in regular draft sets. People are more interested in winning. They're more competitive. Uh, but in cubes, yep. it sounds like you're saying people are more interested in doing zany, like fun things and trying to, you know, make some sweet memories of winning a game in a crazy way. But that makes me wonder, like, why, <laughs> why do we have this super powerful, aggressive archetypes at all? Um, like, I think that aggro is still important, but if people are trying to do fun things and say mono red cards or mono white cards um, consistently go super late in 
drafts of cube? Why are they there at all? Right? Because isn't that a little bit like playables just coming around at the end of a pack if it's an <laughs> archetype no one wants to play? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's there in case somebody wants it. <laughs> and I don't know. Should it be? Maybe. Like even the people that say, oh, I like when there's good support for Mono Red. How often are they going to draft the Mono Red deck if it's open all the time? Are they really like all seven drafts they do of this phone? Are they just playing it every time because it's always open? Or will they also at some point get bored and try to do something else? I think good that's question. what happens actually. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it really um, varies by player. I think some people play like an above average amount of aggro and some people play like nearly 100% aggro. And I think, I don't know, the focus is magic places on win rate and not to mention the fact that magic is not a free game to play. Those yeah. really incentivize like being competitive. That's something I think I'd want to return to in a future episode. But anyway, try to get things back toward vintage masters. So you said that uh, <laughs> Battle Screech at Common is like the one thing you remember, um, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because I mean, that card at Common is just insane. And I mean, the simplest solution would be to like upshift it in terms of rarity, right? Just make it something that yeah. shows up less. Uh, think it's interesting that there actually are multiple like answers to it at common so you have like death's head buzzard you have claws of wirewood and granted they're both much much weaker cards than battle screech but you know it's still nice it's reassuring even that um these cards are here because it shows that whoever designed the set knew uh, so one of the nice things about vintage masters we were talking earlier about is a power in the teamer cube and um, just how they would feel kind of out of place. And one of the reasons that is, is because in a cube, everything is opened up with the same frequency, right? There's no such thing as rarity, except for yeah. exactly with the fetches and shocks in Teamer Cube. And because things show up at the same rate, it doesn't really make sense to have a couple like insanely powerful splashy cards. I do think that makes a little bit more sense in VMA. So you had in uh, Vintage Masters the like regular Power 9 with Vintage Masters art, but you also had the original art Power 9, uh, which were sort of like the first masterpieces, if you will. Unfortunately, this time the flashback was Phantom. So even if you wanted yeah. to try to go for the power, you didn't have that choice, uh, which I think was probably misstep uh on wizard's part like there's you don't lose that much value from making flashbacks either phantom or non-phantom right and it's such a it's such a sweet feeling i have to say because i was fortunate enough in the past to have opened original art ancestral recall and then you like trophy your draft right because you have an insane card in your deck and probably like an insane yeah. it, right and you get to keep like a 60 ticket card or whatever so I think it's it's pretty cool to offer both, but I yeah. still think that somehow I would always play Phantom anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I am a big uh, Phantom player as opposed to non-Phantom generally when there are flashbacks, like for instance, Modern Horizons. That's because like with Modern Horizons, it's such a deep set. I'm not confident enough in my ability to just have a really good win rate. So I feel like Phantom is just less risky. With Vintage Masters, I feel like it's 
it's a really sweet synergistic set don't get me wrong but i don't think it's as deep or as complex as modern horizons so i was a little more confident in my ability to uh <laughs> put together something pretty effective mm -hmm. yeah so i was just saying how synergistic it is um i really like the archetypes in vintage masters a few of them that is you also just have like some old creatures with shadow and shadow is not an archetype or uh, whoops it's not an ability i expect we would really be returning to anytime soon or ever but i think creatures with shadow are really sweet and they make me kind of think of chaos draft so that's always always something nice next to the couple mono red trophies on my alt account from teamer cube and my one vma trophy on a little bit of a run uh, at nino um my one nice. vma trophy i I think I said that, but now I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was just wanted to comment on the shadow. Like, it's not that much more than unblockable can't block, but it's so much more flavorful. I also somehow really like shadow. Like, I don't know, maybe not right. from the gameplay, but just the flavor is so nice. I don't know, and the art, and I don't. I, th I really like shadow somehow. <laughs> That's a cool ability. Yeah, last up, I'll just talk a little bit about Storm. So Storm is something um, there are a lot of myths concerning in the set. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people who think Storm is just bad or Storm just isn't real. But coming from me might not mean a ton because I'm not really a Storm aficionado. But uh, Storm is very real. You have some insane cards. And again, this is one of the really nice things about it being a set versus a cube. So you have to like either open the right rares or get past the right rares. And people do pass the right rares. Uh, so for instance, something like uh, Yawgmoth's Bargain, uh, even Yawgmoth's Will, those are cards in the set. And again, with Power 9, you can even put like a Black Lotus in your Storm deck. And, if you're lucky. Right. But even without being super lucky, it's really not too crazy to pull off um, a Storm win. A Frantic Surge at Common, a Brain Freeze at Uncommon you can really do some pretty crazy things. I think High Tide is in the set, but the Storm decks are hard to play. Uh, and I would say most people trying to play Storm don't get there, which is, I think, what leads to this idea that, oh, Storm can't be very good because I always beat the Storm players I run into. Because Storm is just hard and, <laughs> you know, people punt more when they play hard decks. So Yeah, I have to say, I suck at playing Storm. And I've drafted Storm decks, which I thought were very good, better than i see other people um draft them but then they trophy and i just kill myself in three games or so maybe win one match and then in the end like sometimes sometimes i sometimes i i kill myself and sometimes i get defeated basically <laughs> yeah just... sometimes you have the choice sometimes you know you have like a channel or something and you can just choose to pay all your life or a, again yog bargain <laughs> yeah that right um, okay, so uh, next up, Kaldheim is coming up. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it for the flavor. I'm and also excited to to play the, the the format itself, the draft format. And but there's only a few cards that I like, that really already set my eye on for our cubes. And that said, it's now probably a very peasant cube focus again since that's what we mostly build and draft but i think it's kind of our niche now more or less many other people talk about more powerful cubes um, so yeah do you want to start with a pick about a card or a cycle that you are excited about sure yeah so one of the 
things I uh, am pretty excited about is the return of sagas, specifically the sagas at Uncommon. I think most of those look really cool. Sagas, I think, are a really, really popular card type. Um, and to me, they're just like Planeswalkers done right. They're a little bit less interactive. You can't attack a Saga the way you can attack a Planeswalker, but um, the idea that you have a value engine that's only going to be around for a few turns, um, you don't have the flexibility of a Planeswalker, and you don't really have an ultimate the same way you do on a Planeswalker. Like, for instance, I think the uncommon Sagas in this set are going to be much preferred to say some of the uncommon planeswalkers from war of the spark but yeah i think i think the sagas most of them uh there are a couple stinkers still but most of them i think look pretty sweet yeah it's all though are really very interesting designs for example the blue black uncommon one i think is a very cool design it's two black and blue and chapter one you may exchange control of two target creatures and then chapter two, you may exchange control of two target non-basic, non-creature permanents that share a card type. And then three is target player loses three life and you gain three life. And what I think is super cool about it is it's basically um, a steel enchantment with upside or that does even more. Because in chapter two, you can just exchange control of the, the heist with any enchantment your opponent has. And they get the your saga, which then last the last chapter which is just lightning helixing you and you have there forever <laughs> i don't know it's pretty cool that this card can do that right yeah it's definitely um something they thought about right it doesn't say other yes. like non-basic non-creature permanent so for sure they they did and that really makes the card feel like the the heist right like the, <laughs> the putting of the heist yeah i would agree I think maybe making the drain a drain of two instead of a drain of three could make that feel a little bit better, but still, yeah. I mean, I probably often you are exchanging other things too. I don't know. I haven't played with it, obviously, but it's very interesting to me, the design of that card and gorgeous art too. I think it has a pretty sweet design as well. Another thing I'm pretty excited about in the set um, would be the uncommon lands. At app for one color of mana, but for two different colors of mana, you can sacrifice them Usually, well, some of them are at sorcery speed, some of them aren't. Uh, I think most are probably at sorcery speed, so they're not dual lands, but then they make that cost to sacrifice it, like kind of unsplashable. So it's two of each color in the color pair. So for instance, red, green, green. But instead of being red, red, green, green, if the land taps for red, they just remove a red symbol because you're tapping mud. Um, the idea is like, it's this ugly asymmetric cost because you're factored for at least some strong abilities on them they're good mana sinks i would love if they were mana fixing but i think they would probably just be too good if they tapped for multiple colors so probably, i think yeah. most of them yeah most of them are pretty neat i will say one of these i am particularly unexcited about <laughs> it's the one i already mentioned i know it's one you like but Back in Dominaria, when we had utility lands like this before that you could sacrifice for some powerful effect, we had Memorial to War, uh, the red uncommon memorial, and that thing you could sacrifice to destroy a land, which I suppose could have been good versus other memorials. <laughs> <laughs> it just stinks so badly. Yeah, and it's really just like a 
abysmal card. This one is definitely less abysmal, but I'm still not very happy about it. It's called, I think, Not Rolled Slumber Mound, <laughs> which is quite the name. And I think for a total of seven mana, you can tap and sack it to six again. mana, unless you count itself. Right, I was counting itself. Um, All right. But yeah, you can destroy a land. Uh, but this time you do get a 4-4 with Trample out of the deal, so it's like much more respectable. And not at sorcerer speed, this one. That's that's a fair point. I really am a little disappointed, though, because why are we destroying lands at like seven mana total? That just, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Why is this something we're interested in doing? <laughs> Time you actually get something nice out of it. Like having a land turn into a 4-4 Trampler, that's very good. And I think just that one is so much more relevant than some of the other ones. Yeah, I guess I can see that, but... Don't you think that for Gruel, it would make a lot more sense to have that ability cheaper and just not destroy a land? <laughs> like, say it's five mana total. Um, yeah, probably that would be much better. But I yeah. still somehow really like it. I don't know. Any excuse to destroy a land. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it would be sweet in maybe your Peasant Cube, where you have red-green designated as like a ramp archetype. For me, yes, I think my peasant yeah. cube where I'm trying to do uh, like ferocious, it's just so sad because it makes a creature that's good, it's the right size, that's just so much mana to activate, and my gruel decks really don't want to be ramping. They want to be attacking. So you yeah, know, but that's it's such a like a coming into play tapped, and then it has like a real thing that comes out of it if you don't need the land. I th right. think it's pretty good. I think you might come around on it. See, I I'm I'm skeptical at the start. <laughs> you want to talk about some of the things you're excited about in this set? Yeah, so the first card that when it was spoiled I was excited about was the Path to the World Tree because I'm trying to support green white enchantress in my cube now. And it's for one and a green an enchantment. And when it comes into play, you search your library for a basic land card and put it into your hand, not into play. So it's not super good. But um this this green-white enchantress deck also is supposed to be a little bit five colors, double into five colors, because I have uh, some of the shrines in all colors and double shrines in green and white. And that one then just fits in there because it has another ability for two colorless and Wooburg. You sacrifice it, then you gain two life, you draw two cards, target opponent loses two life, it deals two damage to up to one target creature, and you get a 2-2 two -two green bear creature token. There's a lot of small things, but if you think about it, if it will fix your mana for your whatever shrine, it will trigger maybe an enchantress, and then later you might sacrifice it for some more cards. I think there's something there. Probably not a very high pick in the cube, but a really fun card for the archetype, so I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, I agree. It's a sweet one. Um, and I think, especially if you're trying to do like kind of five color shrines thing i think this is a card that makes a lot of sense in that kind of environment yeah in the limited resources podcast i gave it i think a, a d or something or <laughs> a pretty bad grade but i will try it anyway running it in my cube and i don't know maybe it's just fun but i'm pretty sure it's at least fun right what else are you excited about i know there are a few things for sure yeah there's a there's a there's a, one of the uncommon um Legendary creatures I'm quite excited about. It's in red-green, Svela the Ice Shaper. It's a one red-green, 2-4. And 
for three generic and tap, you create uh, an IC Manolith. So it's an, an uh, artifact that taps for any color of mana. But for six red and green, you look at the top four cards of your library and you may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So I really like that card because in red and green, the archetype in my cube is ramp, but there's not that many red, green, uh, gold cards that show off this, this ramp archetype well. And this really does. Like it does the ramping, it does the payoff, and it is a solid body. And yeah, that's, I think it's really nice. I agree. I think it's a pretty good signpost uh, for your archetype. And it, again, it makes, and it's the, strong. it makes the slumber mound look a little bit more reasonable, right? Because if you're ramping anyway, if that's what red green's supposed to do, and I mean, hey, maybe blowing up a land is not the most impactful. You still, oh, and the other thing is you really, you can't even like force someone to crack like their own, whatever you call it, their own common land because <laughs> then the slumber mound just fizzles um, anyway. <laughs> well, if it's one of the ones that can activate at instant speed, at least. Yeah, that's true. But if you keep it up and they have one in hand and they can't really play, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think we probably don't cover very often. But... <laughs> yeah, no, I agree that the uh, spell is a cool card. And Icy Manolith, I couldn't get over that when I first read this card. I was like, there has to be a better name. And I thought about it for a minute and I was like, I really have no idea what that name would be. Like, I'm sure this is just like a playtest name that's stuck. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's a cool card. Yeah, and then I'm um, very excited about snow duels because it's i don't care about the snow at all and i'm pretty sure that at least in the cubes i have already i mean there's also the, the pyramid cube and these will go in there too i will not support snow i'm pretty sure don't like it really takes a lot of space to support snow but these are just lands that come to play tapped at, at common even and they have the land type so yeah alpine meadow mountain plains Meaning that with the old Mirage fetch lands at peasant, you can now really fix your mana very well. Sadly, that old fetch land cycle is never completed, but still, I'm taking them. I'm very happy about this. The old uh, Mirage cycle, speaking of, that's something in Vintage Masters. And that's been one of my favorite things to play with because it doesn't feel like they're overly powerful and you're really discouraged from cracking them if you're trying to hit land drops. And I think that's just way more interesting to play with than like you know, traditional fetch lands in cubes, because most of the time there, you're just cracking them as soon as possible. You get your shock land or whatever, and then um, you go about your day. But really like the Mirage fetches, I would love to see that cycle completed. And idea of like, well, you're playing it turn one, uh, it's probably not a huge downside if you get something tapped. And then now there's even more play to them if you're in peasant, like fetching up, lands that have to enter tapped yeah double tapped very slow but it's very good fixing right yeah and the other thing is like you don't have to get like a duel right if you need mana right well right after you play the uh garage fetches then you can still uh, just fetch a basic the turn after you play them yeah i i agree that um snowlands i'm not sure they're gonna do a ton for your cube or mine but i think for cubes in general they're really cool I think they look amazing, definitely, at least visually, an upgrade to Guild Gates, right? And I really like yeah. Wizards is like doing more with land types. Like, I think we're starting to realize that as long as lands enter tapped, 
can have pipes and it's not going to be too scary. Like we saw that with Triomes, right? And did not see that exactly with the lands in Throne of Eldraine, right? We still have the blue Throne of Eldraine common island thing uh, show up in a bunch of constructed formats, but... <laughs> um, yeah, that is a bit of... A... But it's the odd one out, right? The other ones are all very fine because sure. the advantage they give is something desirable in arch- not in archetypes, in formats where people do degenerate things with fetch lands. Right. Right. Yeah, and then you're excited about the last one is another land. It's the Shimmerdrift Veil. I would say for paper magic, it's the fixed, uh, the fixed Terramorphic Expanse or Evolving Wilds. So it's a snow land. Snow, I don't care much about. It enters the battlefield tapped, but when it comes into play, choose a color and then you add mana of the chosen color. And I think that is much more elegant design than thing to fetch. It's most of the time weaker. But um, I just like it. And one more of these effects might find its way into some cubes of mine. Maybe not. But it might. And if you play with paper, I think it's just better. Having to shuffle is just annoying. And <laughs> this basically does the same thing. Sure. Yeah. This reminds me a lot of the um, Thriving Lands from Jumpstart. And I do prefer the Thriving Lands. But this is a, I mean, it's a decent card in its own right. Like, yes, in terms of gameplay, uh, I think... Dot shuffling is nice. I still like being able to fetch later if you don't necessarily know what you want to get, but most of the time you will, or you can just not play this land right away. So yeah, I think this is a sweet card too. So do you have anything left on your list of cards you want to talk about? I do. Um, so I really like a lot of the themes in the set. For instance, I like uh, the snow theme. Snow is one of my favorite things that Magic does because I think like the kind of mini game of how highly do you pick snowlands or guild gates or deserts that's just always been like a really interesting question and i think it adds a lot to drafting environments so i'm really excited about that yeah um, it's sweet for drafting it's not so great for a constructor but who cares <laughs> not we yeah right in what is it 90 plus percent of cards just never do anything in constructed anyway so um, yeah <laughs> so yeah I'm excited about that. I'm also excited just about Changeling as a theme. I really like that old ability. It's a little bit awkward because, <laughs> I mean, we just had Zendikar Rising where um, we went really far out of the way to come up with like a weird Changeling-esque ability for a couple cards in that set that had like, <laughs> all yeah. of the party types. Um, and it, it felt like Changeling Link could have returned then like we still had the rule where changeling does not count for more than one type at a time toward party um i'm yep. happy to see it back at this point also just for tribal decks and casual things in general i think people really like changeling just supporting like you know whatever tribal thing they're doing on a again yeah casual, constructed level um, yeah i remember back when i was really playing kitchen table magic at home when i got started sometimes we built tribal decks just restricted by which tribes we had enough cards for. <laughs> like, didn't matter if they were good. <laughs> right. And yeah. So something interesting that I think these two uh, mechanics like combine is that both really good for chaos. In the sense that snow and chaos has always been like very dubious and not very significant because I mean, how are you ever putting synergy together in chaos consistently? No. It does show up. No. Um, especially tribal synergy. 
So these changelings, uh, I mean, there are definitely some powerful cards in Magic's history that care about certain creature types. So I think the changelings are going to be a hit for chaos in that sense. I think that um, just having some more uh, snow and just a lot of the cool lands in the set, common, uncommon, I think, yeah, this is just going to be a nice set for chaos. It's going to age well, I think. There's one thing that really turned me off from this set uh, pretty early on in spoiler season, and that was just a couple four mana commons, one in green and one in blue. The blue one is called Augury Raven. Mm -hmm. Three and a blue for a three, three flying, which is pretty good. And then uh, it also has Foretell. So for one and a blue, uh, you can exile it face down. And then on a later turn, uh, note that later turn doesn't mean one of your turns later. Um, obviously, this would have to have Flash to work on your opponent's turn. But just keep in mind how Foretell works with instance. It basically does not make you wait a whole turn cycle, right? So yeah, for one and a blue, after paying two to exile it face down, you can sort of morph it up and cast it. And yeah, Foretell yeah. is definitely, I think, a callback to morph. And it's an interesting ability. I don't know if we'll ever see it repeated, but the idea that four mana 3-3 three, three flying wasn't good enough, so they put another ability on it to like split the mana across like a couple turns, just so insane to me. Like We haven't had a four mana 3-3 three, three flyer at common for so many yeah. years. Like, <laughs> it's been so... Now we're already, like, a step further. Yeah, it's just, I really have no idea what's going on here. It's like they're, like, trying to make the draft format more exciting. They're making it less exciting for me because it's just an obscene card to have. Like, I don't I don't think we're ready for Like, we just had four mana 3-2 draw card, right, in Zendikar Rising. Now we're going, again, multiple steps up. Three toughness and foretell. It just makes me think like i <laughs> like you know when is the i just i'm trying to understand how magic is going to continue on this trend because i mean i'm i like cards getting better i think it's good for the game i think it uh entices more players but i just think this is a really really steep rate for cards to improve and i don't know about that <laughs> yeah i'm not sure about those cards either like i will obviously play them but it's not really that exciting. I don't know. Um, I was thinking about um, when looking at the spoiler Fortel versus Echo because um, basically you spend mana and then you have to spend mana again. But only the second time you pay, you get the thing you want. That sounds a bit worse than Echo, right? That you <laughs> pay it, you get it now. But later you have to pay again. And yeah, people one. hated Echo even though like when I do this comparison, it sounds better. But the one is an upside that maybe often you want to use and the other one is a downside more or less you still pay in installments which might be good for you but i don't know like i think these are a little bit similar the mechanics but one is phrased as a as a drawback and therefore people dislike it <laughs> <laughs> i think it's very like interesting with what it does to the mind of the player yeah i think that's a really clever comparison and i think um it's a clever design, too, from Wizards if they had Echo in mind, which I'm not totally sure they did. Um, I think one of the other reasons it doesn't feel like uh, a downside mechanic is because at the end of the day, you still have an option, right? You can just pay full price yeah. and you can, yeah, and players love options. Right? So maybe that was the solution for Echo originally. You just put a regular casting cost on there. 
versus an echo yep. cost. And as long as the echo cost is cheap enough, maybe suddenly it's a super popular mechanic instead of a really heavy I think one. so. <laughs> okay. That's all it took. But it's really just about, I mean, the power level obviously is pretty different. Most of the echo cards weren't that great. But I mean, there were two mana, two fours, which at that point was pretty crazy. And then you would just have to pay that again. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There were definitely some really insane cards with Echo uh, for the rate um, that you would cast it the first time. But then once you pay for it the second time, it's starting to look a little bit more fair. Um, yes, yes. Kind of a side note, I really, really dislike that Echo had to be eroded. I really liked Echo as just that word, then you pay the casting cost again. I think it was Time Spiral Block when they changed it to like, Echo can be like a sack two lands kind of thing. Or like Skizik Surger. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, the Surger was only in uh, Future Side, I think, but right. uh, they changed already in in Time Spiral, and there were some other weird um, costs. Sometimes they were just different from the original cost, or so. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of Time Spiral, we have uh, Time Spiral Remastered, which uh, I think releases in a couple months. So probably our next episode, I think, will be. Well, we might be talking about spoilers for. Uh, for that set i'm very very excited for that i think that's going to be my highlight of the year <laughs> i don't know i always love just the flashback drafts i i hope this will be as good i don't know <laughs> fair yeah it definitely has. What, what, would you, what would you prefer if we have no sprout swarm at all or sprout swarm at rare um i think sprout swarm is just not a good card <laughs> i think it's one thing to have like a creature with an activated ability that is completely insane, like the more you activate it, right? Um, but the idea that it's a card in your hand, which really means like, yes, blue can counter it, black can make you discard it, but like red, green, and white, like what do they do? <laughs> you know? So I don't know. I don't think Sprout Swarm should show up. And I think they guaranteed that it wouldn't, right? So that's nice. I don't know if they did, but I. I think I kind of would like it at rare on Mythic Rare. So, like, if once while I played it shows up or something like that, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. At Common was obviously one of the biggest mistakes ever, but yeah. <laughs> I would just enjoy laughing at the like transition from Common to Mythic. Like, I don't. I'll they actually, would be funny, right? <laughs> would. Uh, I'm trying to think of other cards that have done something similar. If you think of maybe like. Ornithopter, the fact that it has like a masterpiece, I mean, that's pretty similar. Um, I think maybe a better comparison would be like Ether Vial, which was like once uncommon, once rare, and then uh, also mythic. <laughs> anyway. I mean, there was Squire that went from a bad, unplayable common to a time shifted card slot in Time Spiral, right? Oh, God. Couldn't it just complete the cycle? <laughs> uh. Yeah, I guess the time shifted is a lot like a rare slot, so... Yeah, some of the cards in there were feeling a bit more like Mythic Rare later, though, and some of the cards felt a bit more like common. <laughs> you had All right. uh, one more thought about Fortel? Yeah, I was just thinking about, like, in um, in Kaltheim, there's the theme of uh, if you play two spells, then you get a trigger or something. Two spells mm -hmm. per turn. Mm -hmm. And Fortel is part of the things that enable that. And I was thinking if it is possible to enable um, with Fortel and other mechanics across the board, like for example, also suspend the way they mm -hmm. did it in Time Spiral, um, is it possible to get uh, a peasant cube power level storm into a cube without it being 
super parasitic. Like, I mean, like without putting a million rituals, I mean, there are many of them. You could just put a bunch of rituals, but they would then just only go in the storm deck. Right. And yeah, I think maybe my next project will be designing a, a peasant cube around storm. Sounds because really also people really enjoyed it in Timur Cube. And yeah, the only only issue with, with, with Storm I have at that point is probably too many people would want to draft Storm, which would make it a terrible experience for everyone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think one of the things you can do to offset that a little, um, as I'm sort of working with my own Storm-esque archetype in my cube, is either not tell people about it, so they kind of have to discover it for themselves, or make it not very powerful. Because if you make it something that you really need a lot of like skill um, and luck to get to work, then I think most people aren't going to go for it anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah, so Fortel. In terms of Fortel, I'm really excited about the uh, blue-white um, uncommon legend, uh, Vega the Watcher, which is three mana for a 2-2 flyer white and blue so i mean that's already pretty squarely in my uh <laughs> my territory but whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand you draw a card and this just highlights something that i think is like extremely good design on the part of oh yeah wizards which is actually just the cycle of gilded legends at uncommon because with all these cards with the 10 color pairs right you you create something that's obviously going to get uh replayed over and over in limited but also you give people like extra commanders. You give people the ability to look at a higher number of legendary creatures in the new set and find something that uh, they might be excited about. Yeah. And with Vega the Watcher specifically, it's very open-ended. Like it does not say a card with Fortel. Mm -hmm. Because if That's... it said a card with Fortel, what would you do with it in Commander? Like a singleton format where you need 100 cards would never exactly. work but they phrased it in a word way where it works with foretell cards but also many other things and that's yeah. i think that's really really great um so great in fact that my vega edh deck is almost done so uh <laughs> wow <laughs> once uh the caldheim cards hit the mtgo market i'm excited to um definitely try that deck out instead of the uh obika one that i've been running i like the obika one too don't get me wrong but uh i looking forward to trying vega to hopefully um not too many of the cards will be super expensive but i think this is a good time to say uh yeah we have recently started doing commander games um in our discord uh if you like commander in addition to any of the other formats we talk about please join our discord uh we're a pretty yeah open welcoming community i think and yeah um pretty chill one as well so if you want to hang out play some games of magic um come on over yeah, draft with us our cubes. Maybe bring your own cube if you want. And we have so many people that are excited to discuss cards in your cube with you and give you input. Uh, I really enjoy that. And maybe you will too. So come on over. And yeah, with that, I think that's about everything we wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, just a couple days from now, we should get that new alternative play calendar. Um, that should be, of course, very exciting. Uh, it's going to determine a lot of what we talk about in the future. Um, please, please, please give me some Chaos Draft. <laughs> and please give it to me like this week, because after that, I'm going back to my last semester of undergrad and I won't have time to really jam it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, time. What is time? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, 
Thank you all for listening. Hope you have enjoyed this episode. And see you next time. Happy cubing.